cutting-edge startups and Fortune 500s all in one room talking about how emerging technologies are changing our world. This is The Tech House, and I'm Swish, your host, the CEO of Truefin. Joining us today is Farina Contractor and Aram Melkamov. Farina is the head of Walmart's innovation community and the senior manager of tech implementation. Her main project has involved starting and growing Walmart's innovation community to, get this, over 1,600 members in eight countries. Aram is the CEO and founder of Crowdlinker, an end-to-end product studio that builds digital experiences anywhere from startups to enterprises. Innovation is a big word. Every day, a new technology is being invented or improved. But how does that affect the consumer? Prior to the podcast, I sat down with Farina and Aram, and I got to the bottom of what they think a good user experience really is. When I look at user experience or when my team and we do it for our clients, we really try to identify with the pain points, the people working and using the products at the end of the day that we build and finding relevance in terms of how it's going to help them complete the task from A to Z, making it as simple as possible, ideally trying to find it in a way that is intuitive and takes a common sense approach to the interaction and ideally getting them to go in, go out and complete what they want to do in an efficient manner. When I think of user experience, it needs to be very intuitive. When we are looking at technologies and evaluating them to solve a problem, the ones that don't require training manuals are the ones that we pick because they have great user experiences. They say that the best user experiences are the ones that you don't notice. And user experience is directly tied into adoption, which is directly tied into your ROI. And so that's a really key factor when we're evaluating technologies. Innovation did not happen alone. For Farina, at such a huge company like Walmart, I wanted to find out where innovation stems from. Farina, you're quite an ambassador for innovation. What does an innovation community mean to you? So when we look at the Walmart innovation community, it was really about solving a problem. And the problem was that there were these pockets of innovation across the company, but no one was really coming together to share the learnings. And we weren't really leveraging the thriving startup community in Toronto. And so we wanted to address that gap. Uh, So that was one. The second is I had the opportunity to go to Silicon Valley and interview 30 companies in 30 days on what is innovation, what is culture, how do large companies Mm. innovate. And uh, what we found was the ones that were most innovative had it built into their culture. So the Walmart innovation community focuses on a long-term approach and probably an impossible approach, which is to change the culture. And we do this in three different ways, empowerment, enablement, as well as exploration and execution. I said four, but we uh, bundle up uh, enablement and empowerment into one bucket. So that's kind of the approach that we use to have a long-term sustainable approach to being an innovative company. New technologies don't happen without creative ideas and calculated implementation. This episode, we're asking a big question. What makes innovation successful? The root of innovation, in my opinion, is all about culture. You need to have the right culture within your company to foster that. I think that's what we saw with Farina. You know, she's working at a big company like Walmart. Walmart, when you think about it, is an innovative company because of the people like her, the teams like her that are able to think about new ideas and implement it in a very quick period of time. That is only something that you can have when the company itself is built from the ground up like that. 
Let's get right into it. What are some common misconceptions that each of you get about your jobs? Farina, you want to start us off? Misconceptions with Walmart, for example, or that we're a big, large company that takes forever to get stuff done. Mm -hmm. Um, We've been able to go from not even having an idea, kind of walking into store, asking customers about their uh, experiences, pain points, uh, to production-ready code in the matter of 48 hours. Um, So that's kind of as fast as we can go. Yes, there are cases where we need longer periods of time to go through contract negotiations if we're partnering with startups. We've been able to do that in nine weeks as well, which I'm told is pretty fast for a company. Uh, We're trying to get it shorter and shorter. So that's, I would say, one misconception. Also that we are not innovative, completely not true. We're doing a better job of communicating externally uh, what we do. But from a cultural perspective, one thing that Walmart has going for it is uh, humility. No matter what level of the organization you are, everyone is very down to earth and humble. And so what that means from an innovation perspective is that people are really open to listening to new ideas and not feeling like their ideas are necessarily better than someone else's just because of the level that they're at. And that's really, really key in making sure that we can drive an innovation culture. A couple of questions for Farina, specifically on building an innovative community. How does that firstly help the internal communications with a team? And then how does that actually go and extend to customer experience after? That's a great question. With the innovation community, it's totally grassroots. So we grow completely organically. Even our growth to different markets has been completely organic. People that are searching for a way to get more involved or share their ideas or listen to new ideas um, join our community. So we do a couple different things. We bring in startups every Wednesday over lunch to showcase what they're working on. We'll invite our business stakeholders into those meetings to see if um, they're providing a solution to a problem that's worth solving. We host internal uh, Dragon's Den style programs Mm -hmm. where you can pitch your ideas straight to the executive committee and get them funded. So last year we had um, an idea that got a million dollars in funding. It's rolled out to 200 uh, plus stores across uh, Canada. And that was directly tied into um, increasing customer satisfaction in that it decreased the time to check out, which is one of um, our pain points in the store sometimes when they get super busy. Uh, so that's just a couple of ways that having a really engaged community does translate to um, customer value. Mm-hmm. And then Aram, for you, how do you keep your team motivated? Like how big are they? And then how do you on a day-to-day basis keep them motivated towards a common goal? Actually, we just went through a whole culture re-exercise because now that we've grown. So a year ago, we were about uh, 10, 12 people. Now we're about 25. Mm-hmm. Making sure that the right vision uh, is a, is portrayed in terms of from the leadership team to, you know, the most junior person on the team. It's, it's sometimes tough, but how we do it is we have a kind of a very... I decided to make a flat organization of self-organizing teams. So nobody really manages other people. It's more like you imagine yourself. We have that kind of entrepreneur freelance mindset with all the people that we have. So when you have a problem, try to solve it. If you can't, go to the next person with three solutions and we pick one. Mm-hmm. right? And that way, everybody has that sense of ownership and uh, has a sense of responsibility and accountability towards what they do on a daily basis and how they work. Right. So, so in today's world, what I find very intriguing is 
people, definitely innovation is moving faster and faster and faster, but people also seem to have a mistrust of it on, on a surface level. I mean, right now for the last year, data and privacy, a lot of people are very concerned with that. So how do you guys with your individual organizations not only make people feel heard with their concerns, but how do you get them to connect with new technologies that you're putting out? So about, I think, six, seven months ago, we brought on our head of design and he has about 18 years of experience in user experience. And when we hired him, he said flat out, I'm a user fighter. I fight for the user in terms of everything which they do. And so that goes everything from data to privacy in terms of interaction, whatever it is, what to ask, when to ask, why are we asking, those type of things. Uh, at the end of the day, how we look at it is if we could provide value and meaning towards the end user in terms of what they want to accomplish, and they're willing to trade something in return in order to make that sacrifice to get a better experience or to get something in return, then it's up to them at the end of the day, right? Um, I just think that, you know, with social media, and I think we're going to get to that, but there's been a lot of sacrifices already made towards that. Mm-hmm. Um, when building out product, we always try to keep that in mind in terms of the ask of the user, in terms of what they want to get out of it, and try to make their life essentially a better better place, right, in return. Farina, for you? So with Walmart, we take a very conservative approach. So there are laws that exist but we will add our own compliance pieces on top of that. Uh, and as Aram was mentioning, if the user chooses to provide certain data elements um, and they find that the value that they're receiving is higher than that uh, cost of uh, giving us their data, we definitely want to make sure that they're aware of uh, what's happening. So we provide a lot of uh, transparency um, when we want to uh, introduce certain technologies in our stores, something like computer um, recognition, vision recognition. Uh, we definitely have to convince our compliance teams of how the data is being protected well. Uh, we're not really connecting it to any other customer sources of data. To there, There's just a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we take a very conservative approach. And then also from a security perspective, because I think that's becoming... Uh, uh, more and more important, we have a kick-ass security team down in the U.S. Like, mm-hmm. really, when you look at the statistics of how many attacks Walmart gets in a week, we're talking like billions, and right. uh, we have a team that's able to analyze and understand what's happening and keep our information protected consistently. We do not make any compromises. There is a very extensive security process that goes through making sure that we are taking care of our customers' information. Um, So if we want to be innovative and sort of run different tests, we do it in isolation. So it's not connected to our network in any way. So it helps us to still move fast and test different concepts. Well, when we want to bring it in and uh, scale it or implement it truly within our network, um, there is a very robust security process to be followed. Awesome. And then, Aram, you talked on on social media specifically. Um, There is an argument out there that social media now more than ever is creating more divides between people. So is there a way to be able to use new technologies to connect people with each other? Do you you think that's possible? And and what would that even look like? What I've seen, though, is the market is now shifting where 
users are moving from public platforms to more private platforms. Things like Telegram, uh, Signal, and other type of social connectivity messaging platforms are growing. People want to have more private experiences. And that makes it a lot harder for advertisers or companies like Facebook to keep monetizing because you know their main growth is through advertising based on their users' data. And that's getting harder and harder. It's a tricky you know, answer because I don't think anybody solved that nut yet in terms of, well, how are we going to monetize or how are we going to use, you know, different technologies to better enable it? I think the shift is happening now. So now I think is a good time for companies to step up and find a solution to, you know, to work on that. Right. And then you guys are both very innovative people. You guys might have encountered innovators dilemma where maybe you had like two paths, one where you knew that a product would likely work versus there's something a little riskier, but will also bring in more money at the end. Um, Have you guys dealt with that? And can you speak specifically to how you made those choices, Farina? Especially for a large enterprise, there's always innovators dilemma because you only have a limited number of resources, right? And that's typically dollars. So you can put it in the sure thing that's going to give you an incremental ROI, or you can try and test something different and it might disrupt and potentially cannibalize your existing lines of work. And I would say the way that we sort of think about this is a portfolio approach to innovation. So if you had a two-by-two matrix where you had strategic fit on one axis and impact on one axis, low strategic fit, low impact work you just don't want to do, then you have your high strategic fit but kind of low, medium impact. That's your incremental innovation. Then you have your disruptive, which is high strategic fit as well as high impact. And that's kind of what you're talking about in terms of innovator dilemma, it's between the incremental and uh, disruptive innovation. And so what we'd say is put like 70% of your resources in incremental. Mm -hmm. So let's say it's giving you that sure ROI, it's giving you money, either in savings or revenue to then invest in your disruptive innovations. And then the last one is game changing where we put like 10% of the resources. Um, That's sort of how we look at investing. Uh, But also if you're looking at using an agile approach or a design thinking approach, you are de-risking what you think is disruptive. If you're working right there with your users or your customers, you're getting that feedback right away. So you're iterating in the right direction, which means that you're validating the assumptions that you're putting down in a business case. Right. Ram? Now as a product studio with with Crowdlinker, how we do it is we go through a very in-depth kind of research phase, go to actual the target audiences, test, test, and test, iterate, repeat. And when you know startups come to us and say, we have this idea and we think it's the best idea, I take that very critical, harsh approach. But I say to them, okay, let's make sure you don't spend your money incorrectly. Let's take a little bit put it towards more of an iterative testing approach. Let's go get some usability testing because the innovator's dilemma is that they all have this great idea and they have tunnel vision towards it, but they never actually go test it out in the market. And then they're basically building the wrong thing. Yeah, that's like one of my biggest pieces of advice I even tell people when they want to get started is race to the MVP means being able to build even in like an Envision mock-up that's non-functional. You don't have to be a developer to build it and then just get feedback. And then go back to the drawing board, get feedback, because that amount of feedback is going to even pivot your idea to maybe even something better. And then Farina, for you, when it comes to, to managing your team, do you prefer small agile teams or do you normally like are there specific 
cases where you work with a really big team? I actually lead the agile practice for Walmart as well. And uh, when we implement our technologies, we do it in an agile fashion as well. So a little bit different from developing software, but what we do is we'll bring the cross-functional team together because it's never just technology that's trying to implement something. You need your operations team, you need your merchandising team, depending on what it is. We have a whole sort of like SWAT team that's uh, delivering a project and we do pilots. So it's really piloting the process of implementation and then we'll do our what are called retrospectives to say, okay, what should we start, stop and continue or experiment with? So that's a different piece that we add as well. I want to make sure that the team is constantly trying something new because uh, that keeps the essence of Agile, which is the iteration, present. And um, that's kind of how we will use Agile in our rollouts. This episode definitely changed the way that I thought about innovation. When I thought of innovation, I thought of startups, I thought about small businesses, but I never thought about a behemoth like Walmart that has so many employees. To hear Farina talk about the work that her team is doing and the encouragement they're getting from their higher ups is really, really cool to see. And I think more companies should act like them. To foster an environment of new ideas, you really need to be a founder or an executive that is willing to understand that good ideas can come from anywhere. It could come literally from the summer intern that is starting work in May, and it could come from somebody also that is an external contractor that isn't even a part of the team. If you embrace that idea, innovation can be found anywhere. In the rapid fire round, I'm going to be asking you several questions. It's going to be just quick answers. Anyone want to go first? Sure. All right, Farina. First question, what product or invention do you want to see in 10 years? Teleportation. Teleportation. What excites you most about the future of technology and where we're headed? I think right now we're all looking at all of these exponential technologies in isolation. And what really excites me is the connections between all of them and the world, uh, imagining the world that has all of these different ones connected. Right. Pushing you out of your comfort zone, though, I know you're an optimist. What scares you the most about the future of technology? That we're going to start living in a world where there is no privacy. I think we're already in that world, but also sort of losing a little bit of your identity. Any tech idols growing up? No, because mine were more on the Nobel Prize winning circuit, given that I wanted to be a geneticist. So. And then final question, your advice to a university student that's trying to get into tech. Any, any piece of advice that you would give them on how to navigate that career? Yeah, actually, this pertains to anyone, not just in university or in tech, but I think that in the future, you have to be an innovative person, which means because things are changing so quickly, you need to be able to keep up with that change, so be open to change, but also be able to adapt to it and enhance it. Thank you very much, Farina. You did a great job. To Aram now, what do you want to say if you get invented in 10 years? Being in multiple places at the same time. What's the best and worst thing about running a startup? You know, you get to a point as a CEO where you have to start looking things from a high level perspective. You start having to delegate out responsibilities and you have to trust your team because if you don't, then you're basically always in a rut trying to figure out how to manage everybody. Cool. And uh, what's the biggest lesson that you've taken away from the previous two startups that you had? Fail fast. Don't waste, going back to the whole time thing, uh, time is valuable. 
make sure that you are doing something which is worthy of everybody's time and quickly test, iterate in terms of what you're doing. Cool. And then final question, where do you see Crowdlinker going in three to five years? I'd like us to become a brand authority in terms of what we do and position ourselves as a thought leader to remove the stigma in terms of what our industry is, but also to help educate people or the non-educated folk in tech in terms of how is the best way to build product and uh, how to be successful at it. Thank you, Farina. Thank you, Aram, for being on the podcast. You guys were listening to Tech House, the only podcast with Fortune 500, startups, and the future of technology all at the touch of a button. Stay tuned for the next episode. This podcast is supported by Origins Media House and TrueFan. Origins Media House is a content marketing agency that consistently engages your audience through entertaining podcasts and value-packed videos. It's a group of three hardworking women that are here to be able to allow you to live your life better and learn from some of the best in your market. TrueFan is a fan engagement and discovery platform helping brands identify and reward their top fans as well as find new customers that are primed for conversion. If you're interested in learning more about TrueFan, you can visit us at TrueFan.io or send an email to sales at TrueFan.io.